Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. If you came in uh, just a few minutes ago, my name is Aaron. Uh, I'm the pastor of our church, and we've been in a teaching series in the book of Genesis. So if you are not found your way there, it's really easy. It's just the first book of the Bible, and we're only still in the very first chapter uh, of the Bible. And what I love about Genesis is that it really shows us something about our story in light of God's story. And so Genesis is really a book about origin stories. And every origin story, if you've seen Spider-Man or any movie— Everyone's sort of grappling with their identity and their destiny and their morality and their their purpose. And Genesis is the same way. And so God is writing this grand story that each of us are a part of, but is teaching us something about our own personal stories. And so what we've been learning is that uh, so far we've learned that God is the creator and the designer of all things. And so God has designed us for relationship with him. And so we've been journeying through uh, sort of six days of creation. And today we come to the second part of the sixth day of creation where God creates humanity. He creates people. He creates you and me. He creates his magnum opus, magnum opus. Uh, now, if you've uh, looked at other people's uh, magnum opus, we, we know that it's, uh, that word is just meaning it's the important life work of an artist or a writer, right? It, it's important because it makes a big value on society, um, but it's also, it says something about their creator. So let me show you this picture for a moment. Uh, take Van Gogh, for example, and the starry night that he had painted. Uh, this picture is beautiful. It's unique. I'm using it because it's one of my wife's uh, favorite paintings uh, and favorite, favorite portraits. Uh, and so this picture, guys, was actually painted during uh, Van Gogh's asylum in France. And it was after a mental health breakdown that took place in 1888 when he famously cut off his left ear. And you can almost uh, feel the longing in his heart for the light to reign over the darkness. And you can sort of feel that through the painting. It's like he was hoping that the light would chase away the shadows in his painting, but also the shadows that his feeling in his heart. In fact, he wrote a letter to his younger brother, Theo, and he confessed that he had this tremendous need for religion. In that letter, he shared about maybe existing in another place one day after death in some dimension in the night sky. He said, it would be so simple, he wrote, to account for such all the evil, terrible things in this life, which now amaze and also wound us. If life had another hemisphere, invisible but true, where one lands when they die. So therefore, I will hope in that through the stars. In this painting, something is revealed about the heart of its creator. To be where a place where the light conquers the darkness he was feeling in that asylum. And he shows that in his painting. And the same is true of God, our creator. His creation reveals something about his heart, just like Van Gogh's painting revealed something about his heart. Guys, as God's magnum opus, his grand masterpiece in creation is you and it's me. It's his people, it's his creation. And he created us to reveal something about himself to the world. And so God creates us to reveal something about him. 
He's revealing his attributes and some of his character and some of his heart with the world. And guys, it's through us that God is showing the world what he is like. You and I are God's magnum opus, his grand work in creation. So let me show you what I mean. Uh, We're going to look at verse 26. And today is sort of part one of two parts of a message about the image of God. So if you're taking notes, made in his image is today's message. It's part one of part two that we'll be walking through. So let's look at verse 26. The text starts out by saying, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now guys, that word then here indicates a huge transition moment in the passage. Before this moment, each transition in creation progression was marked by the word and. So verse three says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening And there was morning the first day. And, and, and was the word that marked the progression through these days. But with the word then, the author Moses is revealing to us that the creation he wants to discuss next is worthy of higher attention. So it sets up this passage with this climactic type language using and to build up to this pinnacle moment in creation. And so by starting out each day with saying, God said this, and then God did that, he then goes, but then, as this giant climactic moment, the word then has not been used as a progressive term quite yet in this text, and then is to put the brakes on the progression. It's to show you that this is the big moment in creation, the magnum opus of all of God's creation. He does something drastically on the sixth day, It comes to a pause and he says, then, now it is time. Let us make a Hadam or mankind in our image after our demuth, after our likeness. Never before, guys, did God do something like this in his creation. He creates in his image after his likeness. Before this moment, God created things from his character. But now... God's creating things with his character, where parts of his character, his attributes, and his desires are actually fused in to the DNA of this brand new creation. Before this moment, creation was formed with matter and substance, but now it was formed with morality and soul. This day was unlike any other day in creation. For only on this sixth day did God see what he created and he called it very good as opposed to just good, which was the adjective he used to describe all the preceding days in creation. So this begs the question for us, what makes this day and what makes us so unique that God calls our day very good as just opposed to good? What does it really mean then, guys, that you and I are created in the image of God and the likeness of God? Let me show you four things. Here's the first thing. Guys, you and I were made to resemble God's image, resemble God's image. 
Now being made in the image or the likeness of God does not mean that you and I look like God in our physical attributes. Uh, when I first read this scripture, I was a teenager. I was uh, not a Christian. And I was like, oh, like God looks like us. He has a physical attributes. And so it doesn't mean uh, to be made in his image doesn't mean that God has blue eyes like I do or brown hair or a 5'10 frame. Again, that's why we have to have this stage because uh, I'm not tall enough for the camera that's in the, the back. And so God doesn't take that physical form. In fact, scripture tells us in John 4, 24, that God is spirit. And therefore he exists without a body when he created us. So no, the image and likeness of God doesn't refer to material parts, but it's referring to the immaterial parts of our inner soul and our internal character. So Adam and Eve do not resemble God and that he shared with them his flesh and blood, but rather God shared his heart and his character with them and with us now. So my friends, you and I were made to resemble God's heart and God's character in the world around us. In fact, guys, we resemble the image and likeness of God in just three general categories. And we see this, we resemble God mentally, morally, and socially. Guys, mentally, listen, you are intelligent. Not meaning we use our intelligence all the time, including myself, but you and I are made to be intelligent and rational and volitional beings. Guys, we're designed by God to use reason and choice. You were created this way in order to reflect something about God. You and I were to made to reflect his intelligence and his freedom. You are amazing beings when you think about this. Like think about it. Anytime you type a message, you write a paper, you read a book, you fix a problem, you make a decision, you enjoy a song, you like a movie, you select an outfit, you decorate your home, you accomplish a task, you calendar a meeting, you work a job, you go to school, you draw a picture or you name a pet. You are proving and proclaiming that you're made in God's image. And by the way, this is why Christians must be thoughtful and logical about what we believe in the Christian faith. This is why we must think deeply and rightly about God and his word. We must weigh our decisions, therefore, in light of God's word. If God is intelligent and all wise, and he has written something for us to know wisdom and be wise, it would make sense for us to be thoughtful and intelligent to use his wisdom to live our life for his glory and our good. Guys, we must also reflect on our motives and consider wise counsel in making life decisions. Being made in God's intellectual image means that we should be wise and seek wisdom in making decisions. You and I were made to resemble God's image and likeness mentally, but also morally. Morally, humanity was first created good. We were righteous. We were perfectly innocent when God first created us. And of course, this is a reflection of what? A reflection of God's holiness, his separateness from sin. This is why God looked at humanity on the sixth day and called it very good, for it was without sin or blemish or wrong, without evil, without injustice. It was very good because God in himself is very good. He's holy. See, out of everything in creation, we see that humanity is the only creation that was made with a personal touch, a personal touch. Genesis 2 reveals that when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, 
He gave him physical life and spiritual life when God breathed his own breath into Adam. And it's this breath from an everlasting God who is spirit that made humanity a spiritual people with an everlasting soul. Does it make sense? Because God is spirit and because he's everlasting, then he creates in his image something that is beautiful, spiritual, and everlasting. This is what sets human beings apart from the animal world. And it enables you and I to have a real relationship, a life, real breathing relationship with our creator. Not just some distant God that set the world in motion, spun it like a top and walked away. We don't just have a deism belief. God creates and walks away. God personally made and wants to personally relate. This is the beautiful thing about our God. In this act of breathing Adam to life, God is essentially downloading some of his attributes into the very fabric of the human DNA. So although it's only to a finite extent, this is why we can love because God himself is love and downloads that into us in creation. It's why you and I have the ability to be just because God himself is just. It's why you and I create, some of you are painters or your authors or your poets. And when you create something, you're modeling God, our creator. Guys, it's why we can extend grace and mercy, goodness and truthfulness, rational thought and relationship to others because God first extended those to us in creation when he breathed life into us. So although our conscience is imperfect due to sin's brokenness, it still serves, our conscience serves as a moral compass. And it points out to the fact that we are made in the likeness of God's morality. So listen, whenever you show compassion and you give generously, you encourage good behavior, you love justice and you hate evil, or you feel guilty from not upholding a promise or doing something right, you are actually proving and proclaiming that you are made in God's image morally. So mentally, morally, but also socially. You and I, guys, were created for what? Relationships. Relationships. Do you guys notice the phrasing in verse 26? Let me show it to you again. It says, let us make, oh, go back one, sorry. There we go. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Us, our, our. Who is God talking to? Who is God talking to in creation? Well, some think it was the angels, but the angels didn't help in creation, nor did they have the same likeness of God. So who's he talking to? It's crazy, but God is actually talking to himself. See, the word God there in verse 26 is the word Elohim, which is a plural word. But this Elohim is acting as a unified one. So what's that mean? From this, we're learning this Christian doctrine called the Trinity, which says that there is one God who eternally and equally exists in three different persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these persons of the Trinity are equal and they're unified and they're in a deep, rich, loving relationship of oneness with each other. And being made in God's image means that we are created for this type of relationship as well. Meaning, guys, that you and I are made for deep, and rich and loving relationships with God and with each other. So guys, listen, every time you desire friendship or you long for marriage, 
hug a family member, you text a friend, you scroll through social media, you go to a community group, you go to church, you are proving and proclaiming that you are made in the image of God. You want to socially connect. And by the way, this is why Christians must walk deeply and richly and fully in relationships with God and each other. Guys, you were made to live this way. That's why isolation for us is so hard. That's why the pandemic was so difficult. We felt isolated. We felt lonely. Have you ever felt like someone has not understood you? Maybe it's in your friend group or it's in your marriage or with your kids. You feel like no one understands what you're going through. It's because we were made to be known and to be loved and to relate and to be understood. And so what God wants to do is complete that longing in us by walking with us. So he gives us his spirit. He gives us his people, the church. He gives us his word so that we can relate We can know one another. We can be known with one another. This is why it's so important for you and I as Christians to read God's word daily so that we could know God and be known. The scriptures talk about how it searches our longings. It searches our hearts. It it gives vibrancy and meaning. It shows direction. It's God interacting with this ancient book in a miraculous way. And God wants to work through his word and his people to care for us, to relate with us to help us in our walk through life. So guys, you were created so that you could enjoy the love and the joy that God as the Trinity has experienced for all of eternity. And we do that simply by trusting in Christ is our gateway to all of this with the Trinity. Number two, not only were we made to resemble God, but we were made to rule under God's reign. Now that might seem really awkward in the day of, you know, colonization or sort of like Western world, you know, going and taking over other people. But that's not exactly what we're understanding God's purpose of rule and reign or this dominion that humanity is to have. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 26, the text says, and let humanity have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And that's not calling out creepers. It's just talking about little bugs and stuff like that on the ground. There's your dad joke for the week. You're welcome. So in verse 29 and 30, God actually gives humanity plant yielding seeds to grow fruit. And why? It's to grow food for themselves and food for others and food for the birds and the animals. And then it ends with, in verse 30, and it was so. So what does God then mean when he says, let humanity have dominion over all the earth? What's it mean? it means that we have dominion over created resources like food and money and clothing. Why? In order to bring good to one another. God's purpose in giving people dominion over the earth was never a position to serve ourselves selfishly, but a position to serve others with the resources. Having dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock of the land is really about you and I using our position and power to serve the good of others. It's to extend and magnify God's interests in everything on the earth. So that means we have a responsibility to care for God's creation, especially God's created image bearers, those who represent God's character in his heart, humanity, you and I. So we are to love Christian and to care for and to protect what's made in the image of God. We're to not harm it. We're to not exploit it. We're to not abuse it. And so Genesis is actually making a radical claim in this passage. It's actually telling us that every person is made in the image of God, 
So every person has a measurable worth, value, and significance because we're made in the image of one who is infinitely valuable, worthy, and significant. This is a huge claim that our culture doesn't have. Why should we love our neighbor? Why should we care for the poor? If the strongest survive and the best need to evolve and continue, why should we care for the marginalized? Why should we care about justice? Christianity has an actual view and a framework for why should we care for people over animals or other other creation. Christianity actually has a basis to stand on and says we should care for people because we're made in the image of someone. And since he's supremely valuable and significant and we're made in his image with this character, then we should treat each other with value, love, and worth. Guys, this has so many implications that we are to love people simply because they're made in his image, inherent worth and value. Guys, many in our culture, what we often do is we care for people that have more money or more esteem or more status or more resources or more abilities or whatever the case may be. And so we care for people out of this utilitarian view. I only care for you because you're useful. But we should care for people because they're made in God's image. Only Christians have this worldview where we're seeking not to just love people because we can use them or what we can get from them, but we love them simply because they exist. And they exist to show us something beautiful about God and who he is. Guys, this has massive implications for the value of life, for ethics, for race, for justice, because we carry God's image and he has supreme worth, value, and significance. And listen, some of us, we might not like this moment, but if we're gonna be faithful to what God's saying about humans, we need to hear this. This is why as Christians, we should care for the poor and the marginalized because each of them, each of us are made in the image of God. This is why we must care for racial reconciliation because every race, every ethnic group is made in the image of God. This is why we must seek to protect and care for the unborn and care for their mothers because both are made in the image of God. This is why we've got to pursue foster care and adoption because every child born and unborn is made in the image of God. This is why we're to care for every person in every place in life, no matter what life they've been through because they were made in the image of God. As we must be consistent as Christians, whether they're young, whether they're old, whether they have much, whether they have little, we care for them simply because they're made in the image of God. And when God says you have dominion over the earth, we're to use the resources, the food, the clothing, everything in creation, and we're to love and steward it for the good of God's magnum opus. Guys, this can change everything. We don't just care for people because they're useful or they could be because they be helpful. We don't take lives because of certain crimes that they've done. We don't remove a child from their mother's womb just because it might be a hardship on the family. I know that's not an easy topic or to discuss. We want to love that mother. We want to protect that child. Not because that child won't become a challenge maybe for that parent, because that child's made in the image of God. And so as Christians, we must care holistically for life. As we would say, if we care from the womb to the tomb, from the richest to the poorest, from the lightest skin color to the darkest skin color, no matter how they lived, in riches or in rags. My friends, this has a massive implication. 
have dominion over creation, use every resource, use every food, use every crop, use every space in order to care for creation. Imagine if you live that way. That person that irritates you at work, that family member you can't stand, that person who plays their music at 1 a.m. and makes it so loud that your kids can't sleep. Maybe you live in my apartment complex because that's the case in my family. We love them, not because they're useful, because they're beautiful. They're made with God's character, made with God's image. Does that make sense? Now, I know that's not popular to share all of what I shared. You might've liked the justice part, but maybe you didn't like the abortion part. But if we wanna be thoughtful, if we wanna go into the intellect of this belief system, we've gotta think about the image of God. So let me ask you a question, Christian or non-Christian, how will you use the resources in creation to care for others? How will you use your time, your talent, your treasures to use your resources to care for others in creation. And for some of you, you've done that with your budget. You've taken a percentage of what your income is and you said, I wanna care for either our church or I wanna care for our neighbors or I wanna put some money aside for uh, adoption or foster care or I wanna support this nonprofit. And you've taken money and you put that aside and you give that every month or every year. That's excellent. What else can we do? How do you use your time and your resources as we have dominion over creation or the magnum opus? How do we steward the resources to care for other people? That's the intent of this passage. Number three, we were made to reflect God's image. So point number one, resembling, is that you look like in his character and his heart. You have the ability to love and hate just or hate injustice and you have the ability. So you resemble God, but now you are called to reflect God outward. You resemble him on the inside, but now we're called to reflect him on the outside. Here's what I mean by that. Verse 28, and God blessed his creation. He blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion, again, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So yes, I had an awkward moment in Sunday school class as a kid. I said to my teacher, what is be fruitful and multiply? They said, go home and ask your mom and dad. Went home and asked my mom and dad and we had the talk, right? So yes, be fruitful and multiply does refer to reproduction, but it's way, way, way more than that. What are we trying to reproduce and fill the earth? This is God saying that we are called to reflect his glory, his character, his attributes, his ways in all the world. So God says, I make you in my image and then make many more like me who will love and serve and sacrifice and create and be beautiful and make art pieces and write poems and, and lead and serve and care for humanity. We wanna fill the earth with the goodness of God. And so God says, I wanna give you something enjoyable I want to give you sex as a gift. So you enjoy it, but then it also points to something where you're reproducing God's glory to the ends of the earth. Be fruitful and multiply is really about replicating God's character in his heart, in his ways, in all the earth. To literally replicate God's likeness, every action in every area of life. Meaning that you and I's implication must reflect on how do we think? How do we feel? How do we act on the earth? Because you were designed to reflect God. So do you reflect him in your thoughts, my friends? How you think about people. 
Do you reflect God's image and character about how he thinks about people? Are we angry and bitter at people? Are we harsh and critical about people? Are we loving, gracious, and truthful with people? Do you reflect him in the way you speak to someone? Do you act how you steward your resources? Do you reflect him? Now, if you know humanity for a while, if you know me for a minute, you know that I don't do a very good job at reflecting God's character and his ways in all the world. In fact, let me show you a picture here about a poor reflection. Uh, This is Cristiano Ronaldo. And um, they tried to make a bust of him. And so this is him, a soccer player on the right. And this was their attempt to look like him on the left. And obviously that was revealed in a stadium and everyone looked at that and be like, I don't even know who that is. That is a terrible rendering and rendition of that soccer player. And my friends, I think if we're honest, this is often what we do when we reflect God. We are a poor reflection of God's heart and his character in the world. And so if we're not mindful like an artist, looking at every detail of his heart and what he says in the scriptures, and if we're not mindful of letting scripture be the authority in our life rather than what culture has to say, then we're gonna paint an image of something that's not the image of God. If we're holding up a picture that doesn't look like God, act like God, love like God, care like God, sacrifice like, sacrifice like God, and we begin to emulate our life like politics or education or finances or something else, then our image begins to look like that and not like God. My friends, what God is trying to do with humanity in our brokenness, he's trying to mold and shape us into his image so that God's glory is known further on the earth and that you and I experience the flourishing design of goodness that God made us for as humanity. Romans 8, 29 tells us this, that for those whom God pre-knew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's the purpose of what God is creating so that we would be more like him. Because as you're thinking throughout your day, knowing that God is a craftsman who is working on your heart and your life, the questioning is, are you letting him rule and reign in your life? Are you letting God's word dictate how you think? Now, I know that's not popular as I was a non-Christian thinking about, you just let this ancient book tell you how to live. Well, again, if you're looking at the dates in that book, the geographies in those books, if you're looking at the details in that book, do the dates match up? The people line up? Do the, the history match up? Does everything align? Then you look at the faith claims or any of those contradicting one another. And this book actually makes some logical, real sense. It's actually pointing to facts and, and history. And so maybe the faith claims are real. And my friends, as we give our heart over to this book, we begin to look more like God, the craftsman begin to love like him. We begin to experience the flourishing and freedom that he designed humanity to live in. But when we choose to live our own way, thinking that we know what's best, living in our own wisdom, outside of the wisdom of the one who is wise, we begin to hurt ourselves, and we begin to hurt others. My friends, God has a purpose and a plan for your flourishing, literally for your good. And as we let God's rule and reign, rule and reign in our life. We're able to fill the earth with more of who he is. So number four, our last thing is that we were, we were made to be redeemed and remade by Jesus. We were made to be redeemed and remade 
by Jesus. We are like that bust of Ronaldo, how you and I are broken and we're, we're sinful, we're, we're flawed. I am the chief and king of being flawed and being imperfect. I don't love my wife well at times. I don't love my kids well. I'm impatient with some of you guys sometimes. Sometimes I'm not kind with my words. I'm impatient. I'm irrational. Sometimes I'm not gentle or kind. Sometimes I have lustful thoughts. I'm impure. I'm imperfect. What I look like is this jacked up bust of Ronaldo. And so God in his grace doesn't leave us there. Jesus actually took on human flesh. He, he was redoing the process that you and I broke. We were made in his image, but we broke the whole thing when we sinned. So Jesus took on human flesh to do it again. He took our place so that you and I could have a place with him. So Jesus lived on earth. He lived the human experience. He had challenges in relationships. He had work issues. He had family conflict. He went through persecution, mistreatment. He was misunderstood. Jesus lived this life, but he did it perfectly. He did it perfectly so that you could have his record of perfection. So you don't look like a jacked up Ronaldo. Your image is remade because God transfers his perfect image of righteousness on to you. And now you, through faith, can be acceptable to God. You can have a relationship with God. You can be renewed to this God. And the scriptures tell us that in 2 Corinthians 5. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in a relationship with Christ, he's a what? She's a what? A new creation. The old bust of Ronaldo has passed away and the new one has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled himself to us. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but canceling them through his death on the cross. My friends, this is the beauty of what we see Jesus has done. Humanity broke the system. Humanity with our selfishness and our put us first, that doggy dog world. And I think I'm going to know what's best. I'm just going to do it. And I hurt my spouse and my kids and work relationships. I break the world with evil and injustices. And God says, I don't want to leave you there. The image is broken. I want to come and remake it. And so what God does is he invites us into a relationship with him where he begins to remake what he created, which was his heart in you. He remakes your heart. He remakes your character. He renews your mind. And then, then you begin to bear his image out more in the world. And my friends, this is good for you. It's good for your neighbors. It's good for every tongue, every nation, every tribe in all the world for all of time. My friends, we were made to be renewed, be remade in Jesus. And so my friend, you might be here and you might be a, a, a seeker or you might be a skeptic and you're looking at the claims of Christianity and you look inside yourself and you can see how you fall short of your own standards. Well, how'd those standards even get there? Because you were made the image of one who has a standard. And the beauty of this God is he doesn't just condemn you for falling short of that standard, but he came to live the standard in your place so that he can give you the record of him living out perfectly that standard. And so you don't have to pick yourself up or try harder and redo the bust of Ronaldo on your life and try to be a better person. You've got to vote better and be more active in politics and you try to make the world better through education. You don't have to do that in order to be right with God. You simply take your trust and say, God, I'm, I'm broken. I'm sinful, I'm falling short. I've added on harm in this world. And God, I want you to forgive me of that through your death on the cross. And I want a relationship where you renew my heart. You renew my character. 
You renew how I treat my wife and my, my kids and my roommates. God, re- renew me. I want to experience that fulfilled, flourishing life in how you made me. I want to experience it. And that's what Christianity is offering. That's what Jesus is offering. We started out our service by saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. My friends, all of us, if we're honest, we're weary, we're tired, life has beat us down. But life was not meant to be like that. But for the Christian, if your trust is in that Jesus gives you a new life, Jesus begins to fix your inner life, your mind, your heart, your character. And then one day, even like Van Gogh desired, this place amongst the stars, this new earth, this new land, that's pointing to the fact that God indeed will give us a new heaven, a new earth one day, where his image will be made perfect, where there'll be sin no longer, where we get to live a perfect life with this perfect God, enjoy friendship, not have heartache and death and sadness. This is what God is offering through the new image that has come through Christ. And so today, maybe the first day, today you place your faith in Jesus. You trust and be made new. If not, as you're a Christian, be thinking about though. If you're a Christian, been walking with God for a while, we have areas that need to be chiseled off. Part of our image is more us-centric than it is God-centric. Today, would you commit to devote yourself to God's word? To God's word, would you read it daily? Would you heed what it says? As a church, we go through a Bible reading plan where we read it uh, every month together and there's a certain scriptures that we read and we study and we talk about in our community groups. And maybe that's where you begin today and say, God, you created this path for me to live on for my good, for me to know how I'm made and designed. It's not to limit my freedom, but it's actually to ensure that I have a flourishing life. Would you, God, would you help me to read this and be made more into your image? Would, would you make this be the authority of my life so I can be more like you for your glory and my good? So Christian, where do you need some image shaping? Where does this look like with your time and how you treat people? What about your resources? What does that look like? What's one area, Christian, you can walk away from and say, God, would you have better rule and reign in my life through this area? So church, let's take a moment and let's pray together. And then next week we'll do part two of this message. Let's pray. Bye.